think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, welcome to another episode of Kidney Talk. Uh, Stephen's on location. And today I'm talking to Marissa and Tom Carr, who met in an interesting situation. They were on dialysis. Uh, Marissa was a recent widow, and they're going to tell their story of how they found each other. So Marissa and Tom, welcome to the program. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So tell us a little bit about how you guys came to meet each other. So I'll start this one, since I initiated the whole uh, mess. Um, I was living happily single up in Sacramento on dialysis for a few years, just had retired. And I was sitting around and I'm thinking, how do you tell somebody in a brand new relationship when you're a dialysis patient? You know, the, the subject's going to have to come up eventually, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's at the moment or, you know, ahead of time. Just how do you, how do you present yourself in that way? Because we all look normal and, and walk and talk normal and all. So I put a posting on some sort of support group. I don't know. You know, hopefully it was yours. I don't recall it was 10 years or six, seven years ago, seven years ago. And I just uh, put a rhetorical question out there, that same thing. How do you ask somebody, how do you tell somebody that you're a dialysis patient once you meet them? Uh, It so happens that just when he posted that, I also had the same question. And again, I also do not recall uh, what site it was, but again, hopefully it was RSN Hope Network. And there was this man asking the very same question that I had. So I decided to email him directly, and he responded. And a friendship began. Being uh, Tom is in Sacramento, so we didn't really get to meet in person and develop this friendship, but we did develop it online and the telephone. And you live in Orange County, so it wasn't too far, but far enough where you can't, you know, run to a local coffee shop and exactly. see if you, you know, well, far enough see where each you couldn't other. rush into anything rashly and all. Of so so was- how did it start immediately? Where you wanted to, you know, just a friendship, or did you automatically know that there was a spark? It was a friendship for me. I was looking for somebody to share my time and and to bounce off ideas. And that's how it started for me. I, I would say it was definitely a friendship. I, like I said, I was happily single, and I think Marissa was happily single, too. In fact, we've remarked to each other. You know, we were doing fine. We were setting our lives for our ways. We were just both looking for mutual friendship. But it evolved. I think we started playing Yahtzee online and just having conversations in the evening. And Did you um, immediately, like, figure out when you were going to meet? Or how, how did it all come about when you actually met in person? We actually met halfway in Morro Bay, in neutral ground, in public. Because <laughs> you never know on the internet. She could be an ex-murderer. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> so she brought her friend with her. But we met in a hotel, different rooms, of course, in Morro Bay. Uh-huh. Spent a couple nights. In fact, her access blew out our first meeting. Oh, wow. How would you tell that on a first date? But I guess you understand. Well, <laughs> no, our, our, uh, our livelihoods were already established, so that was... Uh, but we just, I think we just stayed up and talked the entire evening. Um, 
incredible how much we had in common and, and our outlook on life and, and where we were at, where we wanted to go in life. And, and it just pretty much evolved from there. It was a great weekend. And after that, we it was uh, airline-type relationship. Every once a month or so, one would fly each, uh, each direction. And here we sit, happy. I do want to go back to where we met at, in Morro Bay, the hotel room. I had insisted on two rooms. And when I checked in, I noticed that the hotel clerk had a very funny, quirky smile, and I just could not understand it. Um, but I, I pieced it together. I opened the room, and on the, the bed, there was this rose, a single rose. And I just thought, oh, how romantic this guy is. And that's really what started shifting me uh, more into the relationship side uh, than on the friendship side. And on that point, that same moment in time here we're capturing, she was about four hours late. She was four hours late? Yeah. And it hasn't stopped since. He he prods me every time we go somewhere. It's time to go. It's time to go. But uh, I always announce a half hour early our our exit time, (laughs) and we're still a half hour. So do you have a lot in common when you make or are you complete opposites? We had we had a lot in common in our clinical life, uh, and we actually grew up going to the same beaches. I mean, I grew up down here in Southern California, mm-hmm. and in the same circles. In fact, we realized we we're at the same Led Zeppelin concert one time in 1973. She was four hours late for the meeting in Morro Bay, our first impression meeting. So I spent four hours trying to figure out, okay, now should I stand in the door in the hotel room? Should I be mad? Should I be on the rail? <laughs> Exactly. Should I be sitting on the railing? I tried all these different poses for four hours. You know, my hair just right and all this business. Um, now, had you exchanged pictures? Because you're both oh, very good-looking people. But you oh, was it you. was it a current age picture? <laughs> well, Actually, I had a full beard at the time of the pictures that it, she had yes, seen. Yes, it was a current age, but he did have a full beard. It was very well-groomed, but it did change the... Landscape, if you will, of his of his appearance, his appearance. and um, I believe I like him better without a beard. Although very attractive with a beard, but I do prefer him without a beard. When she pulled up at the hotel, she had a friend with her, and it was it was probably seventy five hundred feet away, and and her her friend got out of the, the car first, and I thought. Okay, I've been set up. That's not the girl in the picture. That's not even close to the girl in the picture. <laughs> and my heart just sank for the split second until she got out of the other side of the car. So okay. it's kind of like The Bachelor where they get out of the car. Did you have a long evening gown? And <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I think I had a little uh, short skirt on to show off my tan at the time, I believe. I have a picture from that weekend I'd love to show you on the radio. <laughs> just let your imagination go uh, go wild here, folks. So, so where did it go after you met at this location? And how long did it go before you proposed? And you've been married for how many years now? Be six years. Actually, it was the Morro Bay trip was six years last month, uh, just two weeks ago. So I think it was rather quick. I think it was probably within three or four months at the most that we decided we started talking about okay, who's going to sell their house and move to either Northern or Southern California. And And you uh, won, huh? (laughs) I did win. I had not had my transplant yet, and I really wanted to have my transplant with my uh, transplant surgeon that I already had established. And Tom had not had established uh, a hospital, per se. He did attend a clinic, but I, I won. I believe my hospital and my clinic won over his. 
And that was the, an excellent decision. I'm very attached to that hospital. Well, what's interesting is you've been transplanted for almost uh, about two and a half years now. And what was that like for you, her getting the call? You know, it's it's actually been a, a study in transplantation, if you will. I had never decided, I never wanted a transplant. I never even sought a transplant. I do so well on hemodialysis. I can, to this day, I can walk off, walk out of the wow. clinic and be playing golf in an hour. I'm just... Wow. Very fortunate in, the, in that aspect. But watching her go through the transition and not having to go to dialysis and you know, having that extra freedom has sure. signed up for dialysis oh, uh, wow. for a transplant myself. After 10 years of dialysis. After 10 years. But what was the transition of her being called and being in the hospital? I mean, was it scary oh, no, for you? It was you? very was it exciting. Just... Very exciting. And I think the, the most exciting moment was just Two days after her transplant, uh, she was in the hospital ready to come home. I mean, she was up and walking already, and I was just amazed to see how well she bounced back from the transplant. I always imagined being uneducated, which is a sin, I know, uh, about the whole process, but I imagined it was going to be six months of uh, you know, intensive therapy and all this, and she was up and about right away, and it was amazing. I would like to roll back a little bit and... Exp uh, talk about the day that Tom proposed. Tom flew down from Sacramento, and uh, and we decided to uh, stay at uh, at Disneyland, at the hotel there at Disneyland, because he had he had a special gift. And all along our courtship, he said that I was going to ask him to marry him. We had a five dollar bet. We had a five dollar <laughs> bet, and I would say. <laughs> You're crazy. You're a lunatic. I'm never. I mean, I was 100% sure. And I'm still 100% sure. It's I was never going to happen. She I, said, never. I was never going to ask him. I was never going to ask um, any man uh, to marry me. So yeah, there he was on, on one knee getting ready to propose. And I'm fluent in Spanish. And he s asks me, you say, will you marry me in Spanish? And of course, I replied. And at, the, at that moment, he said, yes, I will marry you. <laughs> and, I, and I took the $5 right away, too. And he has that $5 framed to remind me that I asked him to marry me. <laughs> That's pretty funny. See, I'm welling up, too. Just hearing the story again, I'm welling up. So... So now you've been married for six years? Six years. Mm -hmm. And you have a lot in common. What are some of the things you like to do together? Uh, you know, we enjoy going out to dinner. That's one of our favorite things. Um, we go to the beach. We act like, actually, we grew up going to the same beach, Corona Del Mar. Never knew each other, obviously, but at the same time, we were, she was probably at one end of the beach and I was at the other. It's a small place. We go down to Corona Del Mar quite often and just sit and reminisce about the old days when we were kids and watch the new kids playing around and <laughs> like that. We travel quite a bit. We do the Vegas thing more often than we should. Um, our speaking engagements and things like that. We enjoy our volunteer work, I think, together. And I know you both are very creative. You play an instrument. I heard that one time she was going home and you were playing the guitar on the porch. Yeah, that was just a few weeks ago. Yeah, I've always I've played music for 35 years at least. So I think that's part of what keeps you happy is just, you know, continuing to do things you love. Exactly. 
and then you find somebody else. I, I, so often I meet people who they're like, how do I meet somebody? But they're not doing anything to develop their own life. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we can, you know, you can share some advice to people who are listening, who, you know, are alone and they'd like to meet somebody special. What are some tips that you can give them for finding love? Well, I would say do what you love because you have to be happy first before you can offer that happiness and love to somebody else. And that may be anything from playing golf or just going walking or going to the beach. It really doesn't matter, but do what brings joy to you first. And then you will find somebody that enjoys those very same things. Because if you try to find love or friendship, for that matter, in an artificial place, such as uh, a bar, as an example, then the relationship starts in in that environment. You really need to put yourself in the environment where you're happy first. You have to be happy before, you know, you can't mm-hmm. give it away if you don't have it. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, I think the fact that we're both comfortable in life has made us, and we've both talked about it at length, ad nauseum, if you will. Mm-hmm. All the the garbage we went through all our lives, I mean, we're in our 50s now, so we've had our ups and downs, obviously, was worth it just to end up where we're at. You know, even the, the clinical issues themselves, it's all been worth it to find each other and be this happy at this moment. Uh, the, I think the, the bottom line is just be yourself. You know, stay true to yourself and you'll find uh, somebody that's true to you also. Well, when you say clinical issues, which is interesting, you guys be able, are able to really bounce things off of each other, aren't you? You basically have an expert at your disposal 24-7. Both of us do, other than she's an experienced transplant patient and I'm not as yet. But we've been very fortunate. And when one of us gets very sick, the other one's there as a care, an experienced caregiver. So it's a rare, rare relationship in that aspect, but it's very beneficial. Has it paid off? By knowing information um, in a situation where one of you has been sick and the other one has had that intricate knowledge of what it's like to be able to advocate for the other patient? Absolutely. Uh, Tom has spent some time in the hospital as well as I, but just watching Tom and watching his blood pressure and and all the other uh, monitors that are in the hospital and and advising him of his diet and, and et cetera has been probably has kept us healthier uh, in the long run. We still remind each other about their, our pills in the morning and the evening. <laughs> Time to take your pills, honey. Um, <laughs> That's low phosphorus. You can't have that. Or you uh, can have that. You can't have that. It's too much potassium. But one thing I'd like to add about what makes our relationship special is my father was a dialysis patient. Uh, we have PKD in our family, a hereditary disease. I remember taking him uh, to dialysis. At the very end, he couldn't walk, and I would be wheeling down um, the long hallway to get to the clinic, um, wheeling down his wheelchair down the hall to get to his uh, clinic, and he would be telling me how he had this headache after dialysis, and his bones hurt, and um, so many other ills that, that come with being on dialysis. And I thought I understood. I thought, well, who doesn't? Who hasn't had a headache? I. I certainly had a headache, so I thought I understood. He said, oh, gosh, my my muscles hurt. Well, who hasn't had a muscle like I thought? I know what it's about. But what happened is when I experienced the headache one gets after dialysis and the aches and pains associated with with dialysis, such as peripheral neuropathy and, and um, others, 
I had no idea whatsoever when my father was trying to explain these things to me because I hadn't experienced it. And when I experienced it, I finally understood. So with Tom having experienced everything that I'm going through, he has knowledge that nobody else around me uh, doesn't have because they haven't experienced that before. And even some of the medical professionals, even though they've seen patients go through these things and, and they studied it and researched it, but unless you actually sit in the chair you really don't know what it feels like. And I learned that firsthand. And I'm thankful every day for Tom because he really understands what I go through. I've always, I'm a big advocate and I've, I've someday I'm, this is going to happen in my clinic especially, but I want everyone that works in that clinic to sit in that chair for four hours. Mm-hmm. And now you can't get up because you got to go to the restroom or whatever. You have to sit there for four hours. Some training programs actually make them do that. There uh, are that some systems that I've heard about, but I don't know if they still do it. But I have heard of that before. It is. It's you know. It's it's giving up complete control. Mm-hmm. And, and trusting it, someone else with yeah. your life and the, the whole... Uh, and as human beings, we're designed to control. Exactly. And when you take it away, it's just, it makes us crazy. It makes me crazy. And, you know, you have to, you know, basically do it to live. We know that. Exactly. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what's so interesting, though, is that, you know, dating and finding marriage and love. And there's so many people that we get emails from and they all want to know about this. And, you know, I think it's such a great example because number one, the number one key is being willing to put yourself out there. And um, it's a numbers game. I always say it really is. To a degree, you have to get out there and meet people. And and I hear this so often, oh, I can't meet anybody, but, you know, they're not getting out of their house or they're not going to. You're sitting on the couch watching, looking out the window for somebody to meet. Well, that's not going to That's get not going to happen. You got to get involved in some service club or you have to get involved in your community. Exactly. And, you know, that's what I hear. I'm like, so what do you do? Well, nothing. Well, you're not going to meet anybody. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I can tell you your odds are pretty high that <laughs> you will not meet anybody. It's like the RSN uh, support group that we right. attend each month. Or getting involved, go to walks or, you know, something in your area or patient meetings, get involved. But it doesn't have to be about kidney. It can be about humane society. Society, um, anything that you know involves people and caring Just about things. In common. It, it gets yeah. back to that: be yourself, right. and uh, you'll find somebody else that being yourself, and you're kind of alike, and have shared interest and shared happiness, if you will. Well, I don't know if you've shared this philosophy, but I have this um, idea: is you take your body, and your mind will follow. And a lot of times, you know, sometimes I just don't feel good, and I just pick my body up and I take it there. And then sometimes my mind will follow. And I find a lot of people wait for their mind to go before their body. Mm -hmm. And in me, that doesn't always work. You know, I have to um, just take myself and, you know, like I I belong to Toastmasters. And last Tuesday, I was so tired. But I made a commitment to be there. Exactly. I went... And you know what? I felt better afterwards and it, it, it energized me. So and that's what I think a lot of times, you know, people who have kidney disease, they get in the rut of like, well, you know, I can't go because I might not feel well because you don't feel well a lot of times. But a lot of times you have to push yourself and, you know, not put yourself at risk. But you have to put yourself out there. I think and, a lot of people push confuse, through a little I can't bit. go with I don't want to go. And, you know, realizing which is which I had an, uh, <laughs> I worked at the hospital a couple of weeks ago on a volunteer project. Project. I had to be there eight hours a day, and I had to be there at eight o'clock in the morning. 
whereas usually I start dialysis three days a week at nine. So this was like, oh, I got to go back to work. And I woke up and I thought, I can't do this. I'm just going to, I'll blow off the first day. They'll understand. You know, I have, I can say I was having dialysis problems or kidney problems. <laughs> I, I pushed myself to get there and it was, you know, I was there for a half hour. It's like, oh, I'm glad I didn't try and sleep through this. Yeah. It was, uh, it was rewarding. I was able to contribute. It was, uh, the social interaction, everything was just was great. Don't quit before the miracle happens. No, but get up <laughs> out of bed and, and go. If yeah. that's if that's what you can exactly. do. Exactly. Whatever oh. you can do to push yourself. I agree with you, Lori, on that you need to take your body out and your mind will follow. And basically, it doesn't matter what your mind does or doesn't do. If your body isn't out there, physically out there, then it doesn't matter what your mind does if, if you keep your body at home. Even for um, health reasons, if you just take your body out and start walking, you'll just reap the health benefits of additional energy, and that will even uh, motivate you to go out more. So, yes, you're absolutely right. You need to take your body out, and your mind will follow. And if you can't walk, then take the wheelchair and do a couple laps mm-hmm. yeah. or roll around the house a little bit. Whatever is, it pushes you for your limits. Right. Uh, I, in fact, I gave a talk uh, not too long ago, and I said... I, if you were a quadriplegic and all you could do is blink your eyes for exercise, blink them five times. Mm-hmm. You know, pushing yourself a little bit. You, um, you have to. You reap mm-hmm. the benefits. Ten- do you have any trips planned for the future? Actually, we do. We go to, of course, for our regular trips to Vegas. But uh, we're speaking at the National Kidney Foundation uh, next year in Vegas. We're speaking, I believe it's in Arizona for the... Uh, National Association of Nephrology Technicians. And those are kind of our vacations, those little speaking trips. Um, I don't know if we have any just quote-unquote downtime vacations planned, but we do do a lot of traveling, and that's, uh, that's kind of our vacation. Yeah, stay busy, huh? Very. And what's your ideal vacation, Marissa? Oh, my ideal vacation is... No cell phones, no laptop, just probably Hawaii. Just being a kid again, no worries. Just maybe the suntan lotion, though. (laughs) (laughs) You always have to worry about that uh, skin cancer, don't you? We always have to worry about something. (laughs) One long-range goal we have, and it's our pie-in-the-sky trip, is I'd like to take Marissa to Europe, to Western Europe. I lived there for a few years, and I'd love to show her what's... uh, what the other side of the world looks like over there, because she's never experienced. Take that. her to Paris, uh, and maybe propose again. The right way. If she'll be, if she'll do it, <laughs> if she'll propose again, I will go anywhere she wants. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on Kidney Talk and sharing your story of finding love in spite of kidney disease, because it can be difficult, but it's doable. Definitely doable. Thank you so much for having us, Lori. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Thank you.